Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inkel. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. This episode of Red Inca, we look at Will Smead, a young English player who is retired from first-class cricket despite having never played in it. So we bring on someone who wrote an article about that. My name is Will McPherson and my job title is Cricket News Correspondent at the Daily Telegraph in London. We talk retirement, Somerset, Joss Butler, T20, first-class cricket, economics and guinea pigs. Tell me why Will Smead is known as the guinea pig. It's not a physical looks thing, is it? No, I don't think so. Although does, he does, does he have, have a hairy a kind face? Of, <laughs> yeah, he does have a kind of mousy complexion now, I think about it. Yeah, so Will Smead has only ever played white ball cricket professionally. And this winter, so last November, he, he it was announced that he had signed a white ball only contract with Somerset, which makes him unusual because he's a young guy. He's only 21 when he did that. And he's a young guy who's just basically given up on Red Bull cricket before he's even started. I mean, people are saying you can't retire from something that you haven't that you haven't ever done, and you know that is sort of correct. But you know he was plodding away in the second team and 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 not scoring any runs, and he's just decided to quit doing that and try and play white ball cricket all around the world. I suspect he won't be the last. He's a very interesting cricketer, but I would say most people outside of T20 heads won't know anything about him. So give me a brief overview of sort of Will Smead's career so far. Yeah, so he's come through at Somerset in an incredibly traditional Somerset way. He went to private school in Taunton, like Banton and Butler before him. He has always opened the batting in white ball cricket and he first played for Somerset in 2020 during the, the kind of the vitality blast season which was affected by the pandemic. Uh, he continued to do that in 2021 when he got picked up in the 100 and had a kind of, it was quite a random call from Birmingham Phoenix, but he got picked up there. People, you know, he, he was like an up and comer. He was given a deal there and he did well straight away for them. On the back of that, he played T10, <laughs> PSL, did really, really well at the PSL. And then last summer scored the first 100 in the 100 in either men or women. So, 
What do you get if you score the first 100 in 100? Surely they should give him some sort of special prize for... <laughs> I, I know that we're a few Smeed... Well, he got 101 Smeed 101 t-shirts made. So I don't know whether he wears them around the house occasionally, but um, I think that was the 100s. The ECV's attempt to kind of build the brand of one of their young stars. But yeah, so that's kind of his claim to fame. Ironically... Actually, since he announced his new decision in November, he's played in the T10 again and he's played in the ILT20, got picked up by my Emirates and has struggled. But I don't think that is a worry. I think he's a, a young player who mm. is very good at T20 and he, he'll be fine. But it is interesting that you know, it's, it's kind of a reminder of the fickle nature of the business that he's got into where you don't have a great volume of balls. Hitting your way out of form as an aggressive opening batsman is very difficult in T20 cricket and he's going to struggle with that. But it, it, I'm sure he'll be back. He's going to the PSL again now. It's very interesting that you wrote this article on Will Speed when the news broke, obviously, and it wasn't that far away from when Chris Green had made his first class debut in Australia. And you would have covered both of those guys back in your days of having to hustle the big bash beats. Mm. And I found that really interesting because it does show that we know that there is this movement towards franchise cricket. And... One of the big differences is that Will Smead can sign a contract in his country that allows him to have access to nets and physios and dietitians and trainers and batting coaches and all those sorts of things in a way that even within the big bash, Chris Green doesn't really have quite that access to, right? And so Chris Green's thinking is, well, if I can get in the Shield team a couple of times a year, and I'm putting complete words in Chris Green's mouth here, I haven't spoken to him outside of... I don't know, an airport in Trinidad for five minutes. <laughs> so I, I don't know him at all. But what I'm saying is, my, reading between the lines of what he said, in England's case specifically, you can build a very good career out of just having a white ball contract and being able to do that, which then allows you to then go and play in all these other different tournaments around the world with a really good parachute. It's probably a different situation than what we will see from a lot of other T20 cricketers who are going to have to do the more than Nicholas Puran style of, I'm just going to go and I hope this works. And if not, I'm going to be playing a tournament in Seattle for some rich businessman. Exactly. Yeah. I actually think it's a fascinating decision from Somerset because, you know, he's a young guy who really they haven't got a great deal out of yet. They've got a few great nights down at Taunton where he scored 80 odd. And ultimately the deal that he's signed with them as things stand is for seven games a year in T20 at home. So 14 overall, but seven at home where they've got tickets to sell. Because he's always going to get a hundred deal, so he's not going to play in the Royal London Cup, which it used to be called Royal London Cup. It's now the One Day Cup, but he, he used to play in that. So he would have in the old days he would have played in that as well. He he won't now unless mm. something changes about the summer. So they're just it's fourteen games a year for them, seven of them that they can sell tickets for and profit from. And then what if he gets injured? He goes back to them. They look after him. All those points you made, it's a generous decision. They must really think he is going to be something special and worth having on their books. And maybe it's a, a long-term England thing where he becomes an international player and they get some payments back from ECB as a result of that. Maybe that all contributes. Maybe they just desperately don't want to see him play for another county and know that he will get signed by someone else if they sort of let his contract run out. Well, they lost Butler, didn't they? They did. Yeah, and the fingers burn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you were talking about it before, like Butler is, I don't think people understand how Mr. Somerset Butler was. Yeah, he still and loves then, it. Yeah, and then for him to go off to Lancashire, the bigger county, and sort of embarrass them a little bit. And then I think everyone knew how good he was at Somerset, but the world understood how good he was by the time he gets to Lancashire, right? And things change a little bit. Somerset's sitting there going, eh, we could have kept him because they wouldn't have had to pay him. And it could, you, you could be exactly right with Will Speed. 
you know, we've just had a bunch of World Cups. We're seeing, you know, Jason Roy coming to the end. We're seeing some other players who might, you know, Dawood Malam, you know, is getting older as well. England might make some choices to bring in these young guys next. And Will Smead is a big chance of that. If that happens, maybe they have to pay him on this seven-game contract for one year. Yeah. And they get to keep him around for marketing for the rest of their time. Yeah, ex- exactly. And I think actually Smead and Butler are a really interesting comparison because they're about they're 10-ish, 10, 11 years apart in age. As I said, they're exactly the same background. I reckon they've got very similar interests in the game and obviously Butler ended up playing between 50 and 60 tests without ever really cracking it or to be honest ever really looking like he was having a great deal of fun Mm. I think a major contributing factor to Smead's decision here is that he's never loved red ball cricket and I think that is totally fine he loves white ball cricket he loves belting the ball he doesn't love grazing around in a field for 90 overs in a day he doesn't love steadily batting out time and that is fine like uh, my personal view is there'll be people who will go oh that's so sad like it's the purest form of game and this is uh, well you know where of a tradition to work i would just say it's a beautiful example of cricket's breadth where you've got a guy who actually thinks one format of a game is rubbish and loves all the other formats and wants to follow that path and i think if you're not having fun what's the point really mm. even if it's your job what's the point and he's obviously it's occurred to him that he can earn a good living just doing white ball a better living nfl sunday ticket is now on youtube and youtube tv which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town like maybe you're a raven who married a seahawk who got a job in the land of the falcons with nfl sunday ticket you can watch your team's out of market sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns nfl sunday ticket now on youtube and youtube tv Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. I think it's worth also saying that it's funny. So Chris Green is about 10 years older than him, right? And Josh Butler's about, what you said, 11, 12 years older than him. They would have been in the period where T20 cricket was coming through when they were 16, 17, but it wasn't anywhere near the pinnacle. There was like one or two years of the IPL coming through. Will Speed is of that generation who would have grown up watching free-to-air IPL on, was it Channel 5, Channel 4, Channel 3? Is ITV had it for ITV. a bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't get it right once. <laughs> I knew it was in English too. But the point is that there's a big generation of English people, younger English people, who grew up not always having access to Sky, but also, more importantly, Sky Cricket is during the summer and your dad might be around or your mum might be around and they want the TV and all these different things. There's this huge generation of English cricketers who grew up where they could come home from school, turn on the TV and there was a game on and it was IPL. And this is, you know, exactly the case with, with cricketers all around the world. But that specifically for Will Smead would have been what he would have done, right, at a certain age. And then you just pick what you like the best. Or is yeah. that generation before was so hardwired to think. I'm, I'm, there's an Australian cricketer. I won't name him. There's an Australian cricketer that was having a conversation with one of his coaches. And his coach was like, what are you doing? Your best case scenario is two tests. You come in for one. You get done for a couple. You're a really good player, but you don't even fit in this test team. Whereas you could go off now and be, you know, $5 million a year on the T20 circuit. Just spend all your time on that. And this guy's like, yeah, but I want a test cap. And he's like... Don't do that. Whereas I just think this new generation is just like, actually, I'm going to go either where the money is or where I enjoy it, which is a completely different move to what the cricketers before were doing. This means perfect for this because there's a great video that Somerset had on their channels about, it would have been five years ago or something now when he was 
he was 16, 17 in the academy and it was like kind of meet the academy kind of thing. And it was like, you know, do you prefer a night in or a night out? And all those kind of silly questions they get. But then it was like one of the questions was like, I think it was Ashes World Cup final or IPL. And that's, yeah, this is five years, and he went IPL and he did it with a smile because he knew what he was doing because he knew it was winding up the right people. But I asked him about that when I interviewed him when he made his decision last year and he was like, yeah, no, I meant it. I might have been smiling and being a bit cheeky, but I, I meant it. That was my answer. I think he's one of those guys who has come through playing all the sports and just not necessarily being like that into test cricket or even watching cricket full stop. Like he just played it as a kid and that was his, the game he was best at. And he was also good at various other things. And this was one he was really good at. And what do you enjoy doing? I enjoy hitting the ball hard and fielding on the boundary and taking good catches and, uh, and things like that. But, He's just following his um, what he's interested in, really. I do think there are going to be challenges for him in the way this plays out. But- well, you, you talked about before when he lost his form. So I remember talking to, I can't remember if it was talking to Nicholas Puran or talking to one of the other players who gave him advice. Because Puran was thrown away by Trinidad and, you know, was in this terrible situation. And I think it was Dwayne Bravo he was talking to. And he said to Dwayne Bravo, is it possible? to make a career off this. And Dwayne Bravo is like, yes, but you have to understand that you might go into a tournament where there's eight games in this tournament and you're batting number five or six. So you might only bat in six of those games. You might be run out in two of those games. Mm. How are you going to keep your brand up, your hitting up, learning your skills and everything else? That is, again, what Will Smead is kind of signing up for. And it's a really tricky thing. And you see these T20 players kind of having a good two years and then they just disappear for a little while, right? Or, you know, and, and that is because they just they lose a little bit of form at the wrong time. They don't get a bunch of contracts and they slip away. He's going to have to deal with all that without being a particularly well-known player. It's easy when you're Dwayne Bravo. It's not easy when you're a young Smead or a young Puran. Yeah, two things on that. You're absolutely right. One is that uh, I was also, he's in the IL. T20, as I said, and I was looking at it and he, I think he played the first couple of games, didn't get any. And then he was just replaced by someone who, you know, they've got eight overseas or whatever it is in that league. And they, they've got probably 15 overseas in the squad. So there's always someone else to come in and it'll be the same at the PSL when he goes there. I think he will be first choice at the PSL because he did well there last year. But there'll be someone else they can just bring in. It takes quite a lot to get dropped in your home league. And I'm definitely at Somerset, obviously, he'd have to have a worse run of form ever. But even at Birmingham Phoenix, it would take quite a lot for him to get dropped. But as soon as you go anywhere else, it's really hard to nail down a place for the team. For him, there is a cautionary tale on his doorstep in Tom Banton. Mm. In He was a guy who exploded in uh, probably 18, 19, and then 20, played for England for the first time. People were like, oh, it's an UKP. He's clearly a child of 2005 and all, all those kind of things. He's, a, he's just a few years older than Smead. Smead's too young for all that stuff. And now he's faded away and it's kind of Operation Rebuild. And everyone thinks Tom Banton, oh, you know, he should go white ball only or whatever. He's not actually probably in a position to go white ball only. He probably needs to stick in with the red ball stuff because the white ball options aren't there all year round for him in the same way that they are for someone like Smead, who's on the way up. Mm. And Banton's trying to get back up to that position. But the cautionary tale is there. He needs to be cognizant of that. He needs to work out essentially how to become the best white ball player he can while flitting around the world. Now, we had a couple of interesting conversations around that. One of the things he said was, well, I bowl a bit of off spin and I'm going to work really hard on that because he said, I look at Will Jacks, who's another promising guy. And he's actually, he is an all format option now. He's obviously made his test debut, but he's like, 
one thing Jacks have got over me, we're both really good top order hitters in, in T20, but Jacks bowls off spin, which is a nice matchup option and things like that. And he, he said, Deval Brevis in South Africa, he's also, I, I noticed in uh, my Cape Town's last game this week, he bowled a couple of overs. So he's ob- he's thinking the same way. A lot of these players are thinking, I need to add that extra string to my bow. And then basically, it's as simple as basically finding a way to become the most consistent, strongest hitter of the new ball you possibly can. There's going to be ways that teams come at him. I, if it was a blast semi-final last year or quarter-final, I think against Derbyshire, uh, a young guy called George Scrimshaw, who's quite a promising bowler, bowled fast and short at Smead, and he looked really uncomfortable. And if I remember correctly, he did actually end up coming through that innings. He survived somehow the short stuff, but then when the other stuff was bowled, he kind of ate it up nicely. But he needs to work out how to play consistent short stuff. And just generally, you know, it's a fickle game up there. You're attacking all the time. There's not much time to ease yourself into an innings. So he's got to find a way to, you know, a bit like, you know, this is actually ultimately what Butler has mastered 10 years on. And he's ended up doing it at the top field. I think most of us have 10 years ago thought he'd be the best finisher ever or whatever. But he's ended up being, you know, an all-time great T20 opener in the end. But he's managed to make that work. It's not simple. No, no, I think, so there's this big theory in the West Indies that, you know, the problem with their T20 players now is that if you look at Gale and Pollard and Russell, they all came through first-class cricket and they played a lot of first-class cricket. And then, obviously, then they go on to play T20 cricket. And so there's this big theory around T20, but really from the West Indies, that if you don't play first-class cricket, it's not that you have trouble hitting the ball out the park. It's not that you have trouble with that. It's when you get some very fast bowler coming around the wicket and um, moving the ball away a little bit off the pitch. Or, you know, it's when Adil Rashid or Rashid Khan gets on a roll. You know, what do you do then? That's the stuff that's really interesting because at that top level, if you're a batter and you're playing at the top level of T20, so you're playing IPL or you're playing in a World Cup, even if you're playing Major League or PSL and you've got the best players going up against you, it is like a mini test match. It's not the same as a test match or anything else. But suddenly, if you have Mitchell Stark bowling 90 mile an hour reverse swing at your toes, or you have Joffre, mm. you know, lifting one up off a length, or, you know, you have Ashwin, you know, going over the wicket, then around the wicket, then, you know, moving the field around you and everything else. You still have to deal with the fact that one of the world's best bowlers is bowling to you. If you haven't built that up, and most of these T20 guys, and Tom Batten's a really good example of this, Tom Batten is fantastic against average players and just above average players. Definitely. For me, yeah. the minute I saw Banton against that next level, he just didn't look like he had that game. He could still build that and he might go off and do that, as you say. I think that's the thing that actually guarantees you the 12 to 15 year white ball career in a way that even a player as good as David Miller, who kept playing in the IPL, and Aaron Finch is another really good example. Yeah. I yeah. think there are times, because they weren't playing enough first class cricket at different times, they just didn't have the sort of reps to be able to deal with one good spell. You know, yeah. and that one good spell gets you out. And if that happens a couple of times, then you hole out, then you get run out. Suddenly your season looks crap. The reps thing is actually such an interesting conversation about like where all the formats are at the moment. So like I, I was in South Africa last week with England and all of their guys who only play T20 now. So basically all the white ball only guys only play T20 because there's no domestic one day 50 over cricket anywhere in the world now of a top level. Bilateral one day cricket is actually relatively rare. It's kind of nine or you know, 10 a year or something like that. You don't play that much of it. So Jason Roy, Moen Ali, Lee Livingston wasn't there, but he'd be another example. Josh Butler, their whole diet is T20. And they were like, last week, all three of Roy, Moen and Butler actually scored runs in one way or another. But all three of them were like, 
God, it was so weird having a bit of time and just being able to block a couple. I didn't remember that I was allowed to do that. I forgot that that was a thing that happened in cricket. And it's actually, you know, those guys, of, particularly Roy and Butler, uh, are like all-time great England 50-over players. It's such an important part of the 2019 team. And they've forgotten how to play even 50-over cricket. They've forgotten how to play half a day's batting just because the, the T20 diet has, t- has taken over and it's it's kind of exclusive to them. And Smead is coming through. All of those guys did have, in Moen Butler's case, substantial test careers, but even Roy had a really substantial first-class career as a youngster. And they'd be kind of analogous cricketers, Smead and, and Roy, kind of both openers in all white ball formats, but probably bat lower down in first-class cricket instinctively. But their journey... 10, 12 years apart is going to be so different. And Roy's not a perfect cricketer, as we saw when he played Test cricket, but he did have that bank of first-class cricket behind Mm. him. And one of the reasons his white ball career has been so strong is because of that bank of first-class cricket. Can Smead do it without it? He's the guinea pig. There's one thing that was really interesting in the piece, just so that people know a little bit more about him. So he studies economics. Yeah, he's a smart cookie, yeah. So, you know, he's not, I mean, without wanting to slag off almost all other cricketers, most cricketers don't study economics, I think is the best yeah. way of putting it. And I was thinking about it from that point of view. He's he's hanging out with a bunch of people who are studying other things like him and, you know, probably knows a lot of people uh, from that sort of background. In any other line of work, what he's done is just a normal thing. If you're like studying law and you want to become a barrister because you want to grandstand a little bit more and you don't want to do the heavy work. Sorry to all barristers out there, but my wife's a solicitor, so she'll like this. But you know what I mean? It's just like, well, there's more money in it and it's the cooler job, so you go and do it. Yeah, 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 and I enjoy it, so I'm going to go do it. And I know this is a professional sport thing. We still think it as the dream and you're so lucky to do it, but they're still people and, and it's a really interesting thing. But my last question to you really is, do you think if he really gave it a good go, he would be someone who could like Liam Livingston is a player who would be very good against the red ball whether he ever makes it at test cricket I don't know but Liam Livingston's numbers in first class cricket suggest that he's a very good player against the red ball you said he was uh, Smith was struggling a little bit in second eleven cricket do you think he ever would have become a good red ball player or maybe just doesn't have that within him so I'll answer that question first I also want to come back to the, the point about being a bit clever but he um I think basically he said he's not ever going to close the door on Red Bull cricket fully. He's not going to practice it. He's not going to do anything to do Red Bull cricket. But who knows down the line? Who knows what he might need to do to get a contract, for instance? The game might not have been beyond him. I'm sure he could have practiced. I think it's the fact that his heart is not in that format. He's not interested in that format and he just doesn't want it. That would prevent him being able to really crack the Red Bull game. That's that's my instinct. Obviously, that that's just a, a guess. I think his Red Bull numbers for Sunset 2s were poor, but, you know, there's a difference. One of the things he said, he found it really hard to get, you know, you play him a PSL and smash. I think he's, he got 99 and 96 or something in successive innings there and had 30,000 Pakistani fans going mad for him at Gaddafi Stadium. And it's like, wow, what an adrenaline rush. And then... A month later, he stood in a field somewhere in Somerset with no one there, and he just couldn't get up for it. Like he couldn't, he couldn't bring himself to get up for it. I think what I'd say about the the thing about him studying economics and all that kind of stuff, I don't think it's irrelevant. Like when the news broke and I wrote that piece, a lot of people were like, "Oh yeah, no surprise, another another dumb young bloke just chasing the money." Actually, it's quite like it's really the opposite. Like he's thought about this long and hard. This is not like a he knew how this decision would look. He knew he was the first 
young player to do it. He's not, he knows he's not the first. You know, Alex Hales retired from first class cricket five years ago, but he'd played a hundred games by the time he did it. He knew he was the first person to do it before he started, but he thought long and hard about it. And I think that is there's a robustness to this decision that that gives him a good chance, like of cracking the, the route he's decided to take because he's a bright lad. And as you say, in in other lines of work, it wouldn't be a very unusual thing to do, but. We're in a brave new world, I guess, in cricket and especially, you know, in England as well, inherently conservative cricketing views. This was an interesting moment. And when I was kind of looking at this piece and I was writing about it, I was sort of sniffing about. And I don't think there are that many players on the precipice of doing this now without really having had a crack at first team Red Bull cricket and retiring. What I think is the next is for next generation who we will see do this a lot. For one, two, if you're in an academy now and you don't have a scoop or, you know, you don't have those key white ball shots. You don't stand a chance. They're the generation I could see going down this route from very early. But as it is now to, to really to make a decent living as a county cricketer, unless you're absolutely exceptional or prepared to take a risk like Smead is, you've got to sign up to do all three formats. You've got to make yourself available for Red Bull cricket. You might not crack it, at which point you can then make your decision to go down this route if you've done well in the white ball stuff. But generally, he's going to be a rare case for a little while, I think, but there will be others that follow. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's been great, thank you. Thank you for listening. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42, with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia, and Meda Akam producing some of the shows, and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by the Red Cricket. Podcast Network.